As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Chelsea have found a way through. They only got the one goal. Premier League team in the end did just about enough. Towards Giroud and Bernard. Yes. yes. And that was surely over the line, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. To tap it. He gets his goal. Chelsea spent a lot of money, so fans want to see the best team possible, and it's my job to do it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Every week we bring you the very best Chelsea coverage in the company of the Athletics Blues experts. On today's show, we dissect the Newcastle win as the Blues return to the top four. There's a trip to the South Coast to preview the return of the Champions League, a successful week for the women's team and your questions answered. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on the Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. The Champions League returns this week and there's no better time to sign up for all our unrivaled coverage at The Athletic. Until February the 25th, we're offering new subscribers a half-price annual subscription. That's less than a pound a week for an entire year. To redeem that limited time only offer, go to athletic.com slash chelseapod. That's theathletic.com slash chelseapod. And if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review. Hey, listener, Matt Davis-Adams here, slightly later than usual, so we can reflect on Monday's game. I'm joined by the three men who each have Chelsea in their athletic bio, so you know they're legit. Liam Toomey's one. Hi, Liam. Hello. Just to clarify on the promo code, you don't get 50% more of Simon. No one wants that. You you get 50% (laughs) off everything. Uh, you get 50% off you too. Does that mean that Simon doesn't have to be part of it? (laughs) You actually cut out one of the correspondents. Simon, this is an extraordinary start to the podcast. I'd like to welcome you to it. Well, I'm glad someone's welcomed me to it. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Unbelievable. Also with us is Dominic Fifield. Hi, Dom. Good morning. I should just say, it's just because Simon's managed to turn his camera on on the Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) The Tuesday morning treat. Literally 50% more of Simon. <laughs> <laughs> if only the listeners could get that too. 
Um, it's a Simon heavy start to the pod. Uh, we'll get to Newcastle <laughs> presently, but we've got a Twitter question that demands an immediate answer. It comes from Shubman Bill, who wants to know, does Simon really, really miss Gary Cahill? <laughs> In my mind, Simon really, really misses Gary Cahill. Um, Simon, do you? And, and where has this come from? Oh, I think the feeling's mutual. That Gary <laughs> misses me as well. Uh, well, I, I don't know whether my mix zone prowess uh, sort of is is the basis of this question, but I even did a the very last post match mix zone interview with him at, at the request of the Daily Press Pack as much as anyone else, just for <laughs> old times' sake. Even though he didn't play in the Europa League final in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, I remember doing his his last interview for Chelsea TV on the pitch at the end of his last season and trying to skirt around the obvious. And you've had a great career here, haven't you? And he just straight away, yeah, not so much this season. He's still doing interviews, by the way. He's still a Premier League player. I should hasten to add. It's not. It's not as if yeah, he's dropped Simon right down the league, hasn't he, Dom? He's got to retire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Judging by some of his recent performances, I don't even know where he plays now. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, there you go, Bill. Hope that's answered your question. Right, let's get to Newcastle. So, on Monday night, Chelsea moved back into the top four of the Premier League, courtesy of a fairly routine win against ever-obliging Newcastle. 2-0 the final score after first-half goals from Olivier Giroud and Timo Werner. Uh, the big news in the team news, though, Kepa's recall. Uh, Liam, you've written about him in your match piece for The Athletic. You described him as a bundle of nervous energy before the match. How do you think he did? And... and What's your what's your theory behind his recall? It can't just have been based on Barnsley. Yeah, he did okay. Um, I don't think he had to be any more than okay, but that's kind of what you hope for from a functioning team is that you don't have to extend your goalkeeper that much. And he didn't have a save to make in the first half, which was probably just as well because it did look like in the first few minutes he was trying to get himself settled into the game. His first pass kind of went out of play and... He grew noticeably more vocal as the half went on and appeared to be a little bit more his old self. And then the second half, he had a little bit of work to do. Not much. Newcastle still didn't manage to create much of anything. And I think the two real saves that he made were were good rather than great because they didn't have to be great. But overall, it was a, it was a positive night for him. And I think everything that Tuchel wanted, having made that decision, to give him a Premier League start, he got, which was just a, a very quiet, drama-free evening that can only be good for Kepa's confidence. And incidentally, it was good to see, nice to see uh, that after the game, Kepa felt in a good enough place to switch on replies to the Twitter post that he put up after the game. He hasn't been doing that recently. Completely understandable, given the the abuse that him and virtually every other footballer in the world has been suffering. But it, Hopefully that continues for him. But he he was good. Um, the decision it's hard to it's hard to suggest anything other than what Tuchel was saying. Um, his explanation that Mendy needed a mental and physical break was a bit unusual. We don't often see that in the goalkeeper position. But prepared to take it at face value at this point. We'll see what happens in the games to come. Whether Kepa gets any more minutes. But I think there's no denying that at Chelsea level there is still a desire to see Kepa given another chance, if not to you know, justify that transfer fee, then at least regain some confidence and some value looking ahead. 
Yes, I mean in the in the kind of midst of Frank Lampard's departure, this was one of the things spoken about, wasn't it? That he was he was too quick to kind of write off Kepper. A lot of people be getting in touch with us asking if he played basically to try and pump up his market value a bit to sell him. But but surely the clubs still see him as a potential Chelsea keeper for the future. It was such a large investment, and he's got ages left on his contract. Yeah, and also bear in mind that how many clubs are going to be in a position to buy him for a fee that is remotely... that They're never going to get that money back, let's be honest. that That's gone. It's kind of a damage limitation exercise. But even then, it's you're looking at a number of provisos, a club that needs a keeper, the ability to pay his wages, to give him the first-team football that he wants. I mean, Chelsea, certainly Lampard wanted to move him on last summer. No real offers came in of any subsequent. No, no subsequent offers came in January either. So the only way that Chelsea can kind of salvage this this, this situation is to give him game time. But but then we have Thomas Tuchel saying Mendy's my number one and will play from now on. So I still don't see how this situation is going to resolve itself in a perfect way. It, it it's it's not going to happen. Uh, perhaps in the summer when obviously most clubs do their business, something might come up, but I still only think a loan is, is probably the most likely situation because I just can't see a club, especially with you know the impact of COVID on clubs' finances across Europe, clubs being able to stump up a big transfer fee for a goalkeeper who, let's be honest, has is, is not been playing great for a while now. So clean sheet for Kepa, good news. Also good news, Dom. After a thousand minutes of action, Timo Werner finally gets a, a Premier League goal. We found the cheat code for him. Just just smack him in the chops and watch him go. Yeah, yes, he was he was recovering from the first one when he set up the the opening goal, and then as soon as he finished celebrating his first goal in thirty one attempts and a thousand minutes, he he gets smacked in the in the face again, which was. Uh, a rapid bring back down to earth situation, but but look, he played really really well. He looked really really good. Um, the combination with Marcus Alonso is has clearly clicked. They have an understanding there that, that it's fitting in with the system. It's allowing him to to do a lot of damage wide, but also cutting in field and and inside. And I just think he looks he looks happier in himself now. I have to say, his last few post match interviews have been excellent as well. Really really good, and 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 that sort of helps give the impression that this is a man that really, really wants to make this work and is doing everything he can to make this work and, and is now reaping the rewards of that. Um, and it's it's lovely to see. It's it's great to see him back. And uh, hopefully now he goes on another one of those scoring sprees that he, he was in before he went on the drought. Uh, let's get some Twitter questions. This one's for you, Liam. It's from Tiago. He says, at the ground, were you able to hear Thomas Tuchel getting animated? Also would love to know... Where the guys think Havertz will fit in, centre forward, maybe. It seems to have been a lot made, Liam, about Thomas Tuchel being animated on the touchline, which is not, it's kind of default for most Premier League managers, isn't it? I don't think it's unusual. Yeah, uh, he's certainly not Antonio Conte level of maniac on the touchline. I mean, it would be particularly noteworthy if he was, given that he's operating in empty stadiums right now, certainly not performing for the crowd. But um, yeah, he does make himself heard when he feels he needs to. The only time I saw him get really animated in the first half, particularly animated, was the tackle that ended up injuring Tammy Abraham. He was mystified as to why that wasn't given as a penalty at the time. I think he was probably as confused as I was that there was no sign on the screens indicating any sort of VAR check, although apparently one was done. And then at half time, I saw him talking to the fourth official 
with one of his assistants who had an iPad and he, he said afterwards was showing the fourth official footage of the incident and kind of pleading Chelsea's case on that one. Aside from that, the only times he really got animated in the second half were he got a little bit frustrated with Chelsea dropping deeper as the match went on. And he, he he was already a little bit annoyed at some of the decision-making in the final third, which is what he said afterwards, but he was pleading with his players not to drop too deep as Newcastle pushed for a goal back. And that's the thing we've seen Chelsea do quite a lot, is kind of play into pressure and make life difficult for themselves at certain times. So that's clearly going to be a point of emphasis for him. Havertz is a really interesting one, Dom and Simon won't be surprised to hear me say. I can quite easily see him fitting into any of those roles in the attacking line, to be honest. I think he's very capable of playing as a number nine in this system because in this system, Abraham and Giroud often drop very deep and link play. And and Havertz is certainly very well suited to doing that. Equally, I can see him playing in one of those two roles either side of a number nine and, and kind of focusing on trying to find space in the final third, making those late runs into the box, which is probably the thing he's best at. So that's where I see his um, his main value to Chelsea coming as long as Tuchel sticks with this system. The, the thing is, if Werner is in one of those spots and seems pretty entrenched in one of those spots, then you've effectively got four players for the other one. And that's where Tuchel's man management will will have to come in. Yeah, and that leads us on to the uh, to the next question. Shashank amongst those asking about Hakim Ziyech, where does he fit in? Simon, this is somebody you've been writing about for the Athletica. Another game passed by without him being involved last night and this off the back of a, a limp performance at Barnsley, which was what inspired your piece. Yeah, he's going to be a worried man. I mean, there's, there's already inevitably speculation, perhaps not informed speculation, but speculation that he's he's already looking to move. I think that may be premature, but the fact there's even this kind of story being generated is a is a sort of sign of, of where he is right now. Because you do look at the way that Tuka wants to play. Quite a fast game. He, he wants he wants speed by the looks of things. And as Liam pointed out, there is only one spot you would look at that, that is his preferred position in this formation. And you wouldn't really put him as the second number 10 at the moment in terms of Tuchel's thinking. It's between Mount, Pulisic, and you'd sort of think once Havertz is fit, that Havertz is the one that's going to be first on the list for that place. Because let's be honest, if he's trying to get the best out of Werner, he's also under destruction to get the best out of Havertz. Um, So it is a bit of a worrying time for him, for sure. The piece I wrote does discuss that He's really settled on, uh, off the pitch. He gets on great with the other players. Um, he mixes with everyone. But I think, like with anyone, when you've been bought by one manager and then another one comes in, it can be a bit of an unsettling time and he's going to have to prove himself all over again. And he's not made a great start bit. The other quick point I want to make is the amount of games he's had in a year is is terribly low. So he's in this awful cycle of he needs game time to get back to his best. Um, he's played just over a thousand minutes uh, in in virtually a year. But is he playing for a manager that's going to give him that? So no wonder he looked a bit off at Barnsley. And what what has to be said was the worst kind of pitch for a player like him to try and perform on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And somebody else who might be a bit concerned, Dom, is N'Golo Kante slash Conte, depending on how you want to say it. Uh, Brantley says, possible hot take, Jorginho plus Kovacic, better than Kante plus Kovacic. Jorginho's more static nature and short passing ability unlocks Kovacic's full potential. Kovacic has so much freedom to roam in midfield with Jorginho. Kante's desire to roam can leave Kovacic exposed and isolated. It's one of those, isn't it, Dom? Kante came in suspended slash injured when Tuchel arrived and, and Jorginho and Kovacic have kind of made those positions their own. Do you think there's there's a possibility you could see all three of them in one go or is Kante eventually going to dislodge one of the other two? Look, Conte will, will will play a role. I know I had a little mini spat with Simon on this last week, but I, I, yeah, I, round two. <laughs> I, I just I, I understand why people are concerned about why X and Y aren't playing at the moment, but the reality is Tuchel. The very fact that he's just picked Kepper in a Premier League game is an, is an illustration of the fact he's he's trying to look at everybody. This is a squad. It's not a team. He's got so many options, and, and we're not seriously trying to argue that as soon as Chelsea come up against a a better team, and this was Newcastle, but they come up against a better team, like, for example, Atletico Madrid, would N'Golo Conte not be a, a better option for them to have in that game? I would argue probably yes, and maybe that Thomas Tuchel does as well. We know there have been plenty of times in the past where Jorginho and Kovacic have, as a partnership have flattered to deceive, admittedly under previous head coaches, but when they've come up against top quality opposition, they've been bypassed. That's why they weren't regulars under the previous manager. So I, I just think we just need a, a bit of perspective and just, just to remember that there are a lot of games coming up. He's still a manager, a head coach rather, who's who's examining what he's got at his disposal, what he's inherited. He will be really, really happy at the quality and the depth that he's got there. And that includes Ziyech, that includes a World Cup winner in Conte. And these guys will get game time. There will be different kind of opponents coming up in the weeks to come. And they've got some much tougher games coming up than the ones that he's already had. I mean, even when they play Tottenham, Tottenham are miserable. I mean, absolutely miserable. I just think we just just need a sense of perspective of just now. He's, he's looking at seeing what options he's got, what combinations work. And these guys will get game time. What do you think, Simon? I just thought, yeah, Dom's talking over. No, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just thought it was very noticeable how after the final whistle went and Tuka went onto the pitch and he, he was going up to the players, etc. that he really, went, it was quite amusing at the same time, he really went for, for Conte and he was sort of shaking him, obviously shouting at him and sort of jeering him up. And I, I don't know whether it was kind of a, come on, smiling, Golo, come on, you know, or just a kind of, I'm with you kind of thing. Now, it was very hard to get any kind of reaction out of Ngolo, um, and it's hard to gauge his mood, whether he was unimpressed with it or not. But I just thought it was very noticeable that Tuchel really went out of his way to go after him in particular, and um, perhaps to back uh, Dom's point for a change. I think that's a sign that, um, you know, just how much he, he values Ngolo and wanted to make sure that he knew that, even though he came on as a sub in a game which I'm sure he wanted to start. Uh, hey Liam, before we move on from Newcastle, just briefly, did Thomas Tuchel mention anything about Tammy Abraham's injury in his uh, post-match press conference? He didn't have any specifics. Didn't look good, did it? No, no. I mean, that's often the way when you ask a coach straight after a game, they need time for the medical team to get a proper look at it. What was concerning about Abraham, I think in that first half, was that he took two hits to that ankle area. One was kind of, I think, near the halfway line quite early on and he was down for a little bit and then got up. And then, of course, the Lascelles tackle, which 
we can debate all day whether he got the ball or not, but he certainly got Abraham as well. Um, it's always concerning when when a player takes an impact to the ankle area, and um, we'll see. Fundamentally, though, it was just a shame for Abraham because it was a good opportunity for him to build on that Barnsley performance, try and make an impact in the Premier League and really put him at the forefront of Tuchel's thinking. Because I think we saw from what Tuchel was saying after the game that he very much sees Werner's best position as off a main number nine. And that in itself presents an opportunity to Abraham, to Giroud, maybe even to Havertz if if Tuchel looks at him in that sense. And so any minutes that they do get are important to try and impress. So hopefully he's not out for too long. Well, with or without Tammy Chelsea back in Premier League action this coming weekend, we'll preview the trip to Southampton next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. St. Mary's is the venue for Saturday's early kickoff in the Premier League where Chelsea will face Southampton. Um, Dom, feels like a really good time to be playing them. Absolutely decimated by an injury, six defeats on the bounce in the league. And, and it's a ground where Chelsea usually go and, and come back with three points. Yeah, but I'm not falling into the same trap as I always do now. Um, my <laughs> predictions are appalling at this, as, as Liam pointed out yesterday, just as I said Newcastle were getting into the game and Chelsea scored. Um, it's they, are, they were a bit unfortunate, I think, against Wolves at the weekend. They scored an absolutely lovely goal and should have, in the first half, Danny Ings' volley, and, and they probably should have had one or two more. And then the, the sort of defensive fragility that has been exposed of late, um, obviously most notably at Old Trafford where they they were losing players left, right and centre to, to red cards as well, uh, flared up again. So look, there's a vulnerability there that Chelsea can definitely exploit um, and you just got to hope that Chelsea maintain this uh, stinginess at the back in the face of, of, of Ings in particular because, I mean, we remember what Southampton did to Chelsea at Stamford Bridge earlier this season. They, they, they have got decent firepower. Um, I, I was going to chuck in a bit of um, a quiz aspect. I know you guys have got this, the, the, the big uh, Prostate Cancer UK quiz coming up for Chelsea. But one of the stats that flared up after the game yesterday was that, that Tuchel, with one goal conceded in five Premier League games to date, matched Jose Mourinho's record. But there's only there's one other Premier League manager in the history of, of the Premier League who has managed so uh, a record of one goal conceded in his first five games in charge and it's a very unlikely one so if I chuck that one in there and then Liam can give us the answer in about five minutes time without looking at the uh, stats there Liam I can see you logging on <laughs> then I can't give you the answer in five minutes time <laughs> right so it must be a Southampton manager uh, I'm going to say Ian Bramfoot it's not a Southampton manager. It's not a Southampton okay. manager, but it's right. uh, that, it's 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 similarly unlikely. 
Okay. Uh, Simon, have you got a guess? No. Uh. <laughs> Your quiz is going to be something, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wait, yeah, wait, wait till I'm on Zoom for that one. Uh, what I would say, though, just getting back to the game, thanks for that, Dom, uh, what I would say is beware the team on a rubbish run of form. Is what I'd say. Yeah. Chelsea seem to be the gift. You know, if you if they're kind of like uh, I don't know whether it's a play on words or a version of the A team that you can do. You know, if you if you've got a problem, you're on a bad run of form, and if you can find them, maybe you should call the Chelsea team because <laughs> you, you sort of think of uh, Everton who are on a bad run, and then Chelsea turn up at Goodison Park. Wolves were on a bad run, Chelsea turn up, lose to them. And there's quite a few examples over the last eighteen months. And also, don't forget, they've got Atletico Madrid probably in the back of their minds. So mm. I think, as well as Southampton clearly going to be desperate to halt this awful run, there's this, uh, I'm sure Tuchel will be sort of warning about complacency, and, and, and especially now they're back in the top four. Um, this is a, a, a real opportunity for them to cement that spot for what's obviously a much tougher fixture list coming up. Yeah, so with Atletico Madrid in mind, Chelsea might not play their A-team, but they will still have Mr T front and centre of things. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Liam, we'll get the answer to Dom's question in a second. Um, I just wonder, on this game, Ralph Hasenhutu, somebody kind of mentioned in dispatches when, when Chelsea switched the lamps off last month. Um, do you think that the fact that he suffered another 9-0 defeat recently, does that kind of end his chances of getting a big six Premier League job. It's not a great look, is it? Sorry, just to add, none of us ain't getting on no plane to Bucharest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I started. (laughs) I want out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Hassan Hurtle now now occupies a kind of weird space among, in theory, uh, highly rated younger coaches in Europe because... He's got, yeah, two nine nil defeats on your record in in relatively short order as well. I think is enough to give a lot of top clubs pause when they're considering him for bigger jobs than Southampton. And I wouldn't be surprised if I mean we know that you know he was he was mentioned in the conversations that Chelsea had. I'm not sure it was much more than that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that nine nil defeat to Leicester came up in those conversations as well. I watched that game against Man United and yeah, it was utterly bizarre with the early red card and stuff, but you you just can't lose that game 9-0. And it it does speak to maybe slightly the impression of a tactical ideologue who doesn't know a different way to play in a different kind of situation. And I don't think that's something that you can level at Thomas Tuchel, for example, because I think even though he's stuck with largely the same system at Chelsea so far. He has shown an adaptability to tweak here and there, particularly with with a view to who the opponent is and what the situation is. Hassan Hurtle still has to prove that. But I think that's not to take away from what he's done more generally at Southampton, which is build them into a very competent, very dynamic team that are usually not much fun to play against. Uh, I watched those Wolves highlights and... I thought they were very unlucky to lose that game. They created a lot of very good chances. And in Danny Ings, they've also got a striker who might be the most dangerous goal scorer that, well, one of the most dangerous goal scorers that Chelsea have faced since Tuchel took charge. So I'm sure that'll be something he's paying attention to as well. Don, was it Pepe Mel? No. (laughs) Who was it? It was Peter Taylor, weirdly, at Leicester City. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah, we'd have been here a long time trying to get that. Uh, the Southampton game, by the way, 12.30 UK time kickoff for that one. We'll react to it in next week's pod. Now, while we're reacting to stuff, Simon, let's have a, a quick 30-second debrief on, on the cup win at Barnsley. I, I, I guess you, if you've been really brief about it, you would say it's all about the result in cup football because Chelsea didn't play very well. Yeah, but I, I sort of think that in 2008, Chelsea had a far better team and lost there. So if you're going to take a positive, it's all about... it is. Really about the result. It was the moment you saw the pitch, you just went, uh oh. And it's the classic cliche, you know, midweek, freezing cold night, blah, blah, blah. Chelsea didn't play well. I thought Barnsley were fantastic. And noticeably, they then beat Brentford at the weekend. So let's give, I'd say, give Barnsley all the credit. Well done for Chelsea for toughing it out. But not a game that will live long in the memory books. The good thing is they've got a, a very good. Um, home draw against Sheffield United given who they could have got in the quarterfinals so just things seem to be going it's early doors but things seem to be going two kills away even getting nice draws in the FA Cup Right we're jumping around all over the competitions today that will continue next as we welcome the return of the Champions League So, about a million years ago, Chelsea won 4-0 away to Sevilla to complete a Champions League group stage which saw the Blues top their group, winning five of six matches, drawing the other. Now, the knockout stages of the tournament get underway this week with Chelsea travelling away to play Atletico Madrid in Bucharest next Tuesday. Uh, the venue for the game has been moved from Madrid because of COVID travel restrictions, meaning those who live in Britain can't enter Spain. Dom, how big of an advantage is, is this for Chelsea? It's not really... I know you wouldn't have supporters in the stadium anyway, but... Footballers like their home comforts, don't they? And Atleti aren't going to get those. Yeah, I, I, I do think it will. It does constitute a bit of an advantage, definitely. I think, I think just just knowing your surroundings, as you say, is of benefit to the home team. In, in, you know, in whatever stadium, and and particularly maybe for I, I know Chelsea have won it. They were the first team to win at uh, the, the new uh, stadium there, weren't they? But the Wonder Metropolitano, whatever it's called, but. The way that things have been going for Atleti, particularly this season with a healthy league at the top of La Liga, even without fans, it would have felt, I think, more intimidating had Chelsea been going to, to Spain to play that game in Madrid. It sort of adds to this sort of rather surreal nature of so much of this season that that this, this match is happening in, in a completely different country. Um, and I feel for the... Um, I feel sorry for Atletico to be honest. I think it's I think it is a disadvantage for them, but you know, hopefully Chelsea exploit it and and a very daunting tie um is just slightly less daunting as a result. This venue, by the way, was where Atleti won the Europa League final in, in twenty twelve, so it's not totally alien to them. They will be without the injured Jose Maria Jimenez, though, central defender been key for them this season. Now, they haven't lost a league game in 2021. They are five points clear at the top of La Liga and they have the division's top scorer in Luis Suarez, who, Simon, is somebody that Chelsea know very well indeed. Um, he's still got that bit of bite to his game at Barcelona, kind of regretting getting rid of him by the looks of things. Oh, for sure. I think Branislav Ivanovic has got the memento somewhere on his <laughs> on his shoulder of, uh, facing him. Um, he has scored prolifically in La Liga, but has yet to score in the Champions League. So there you go. Bad luck, Chelsea. Saving it for you guys. Now, it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, I think, as well as Christensen has played, 
in the last few games in Thiago Silva's uh, absence. Uh, I, I'm sure Thomas Tuchel will be hoping that Thiago Silva is, is back. He, he talked about Southampton. I think if there's even the slightest doubt about his fitness for Southampton, that the plan would be to play him against Atletico because for a player of Luis Suarez's know-how, you, you're going to want a player of uh, Thiago Silva's ilk to try and keep him quiet. And if Chelsea manage to keep him quiet, then they're pretty much um, halfway done to doing the job. If they can somehow get a clean sheet, nil-nil, or even a narrow 1-0 loss, it, it, it certainly leaves them with a chance, which if you go back to last year's last 16 tie, where they were pummeled by Bayern Munich at home, and it was it was already done and dusted. So if they've got the slightest chance for the second leg, then uh, that's progress as far as I'm concerned. It's going to be the eighth meeting of the teams. Uh, mentioned that win away in the group stage a couple of years ago. 2012 Super Cup final, not so good, nor was the 2014 Champions League semi. Liam, having led PSG to the final of the competition last season, what, what does Thomas Tuchel bring to Chelsea in the Champions League that maybe Frank Lampard didn't slash couldn't? Well, it, coaching experience at the business end, first of all, as as you just said. He's been there, albeit I know it was a slightly unusual Champions League knockout stage last year, but he did show that he could find a way to to make a difference for his team or put his team in the best positions to be successful in these kind of tight two-legged ties. It's going to be another unusual Champions League knockout stage this year. That's already becoming clear with with these random neutral venues for games. We don't know what's going to happen in, in the future rounds either, depending on the COVID situation around Europe. Um, and so I think adaptability will be key, whether it's tactical adaptability or, or just kind of mental adaptability to, to the situation. Chelsea have the players to be able to play different ways and ask different questions of teams. And Tuchel has the coaching now to be able to to give opposition teams different things to think about. It's pretty clear that Atletico go into this tie as favourites. They have to be because of what they've done in Spain so far. But I think Chelsea go into it as very much live underdogs because they're better than their form over the last couple of months has shown. And this is always a weird time in the Champions League because when the draw is made, you never know what the landscape is actually going to be when the ties are actually played. And I think Chelsea are probably in a in a better position now than when Atletico's name was pulled out of the hat to face them. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, that game kicks off at 8 o'clock UK time on Tuesday of next week. That's the 23rd of February. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, since we last spoke, the women's team have responded in the manner one would expect to losing their record-breaking unbeaten league run. Uh, following that shock defeat to Brighton, Chelsea brushed aside Arsenal 3-0 at Kings Meadow, courtesy of a Panilla harder brace and a late Frank Kirby goal. Uh, both players on target again as Chelsea thrashed Bristol City 5-0 this past weekend. Bethany England and Sam Kerr also amongst the goals. Uh, that win means Chelsea are five points clear at the top of the WSL table, having played a game more than second place Manchester City. Um, Liam, I thought it was interesting in that Bristol City game, which is a, a rehearsal for the League Cup final next month, that, that Emma Hayes went with Kirby Harder, Kerr and England, which is not something she's done that often, but that's absolutely brutal. For a team like, like Bristol, who are bottom of the league, just to see that team sheet, there must have been audible gasps in the home dressing room. Yeah, it's unfair, isn't it? It, it, it feels like um, more of a statement than a team selection. But she's got the firepower to be able to pick a team like that. And each of her attackers individually is versatile enough to to play in slightly different roles. So they can effectively play a front four and interchange and and, and really, really stretch teams. Chelsea, I, th- I think, are not going to struggle for goals very often this season under Emma Hayes. And you saw, I think, particularly against Arsenal, that Panilla Harder is really starting to hit a stride in English football as well. And we're seeing that her stride makes her live up to her reputation, which is arguably the best footballer in the world at the moment. So that that's the kind of quality Chelsea have got. And when you've also got Frank Kirby, who's who's maybe been the outstanding player in the WSL this season, there's just so many different questions you can ask teams. Well, Athletic subscribers can read Michael Cox's piece on Panilla Harder. He disagrees with Liam. He thinks that Harder's the best player in the WSL just now, so go and have a read of that. Meanwhile, after a spate of recent postponements, the men's under-23s and 18s due to be back in action this weekend. The 23s host Liverpool on Friday night in PL2, whilst the under-18s host Reading all being well. That's just about it for this week. Before we go, let's hear what the chaps have got lined up for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Liam, I teased your your post-match piece on Kepa there. Give us a bit more info about that. Yeah, so, I mean, I, like a lot of people in Stamford Bridge and on TV on Monday night, spent most of my time looking quite closely at Kepa to see how he was looking body language-wise as much as what he was doing with the ball. And so my piece kind of focuses on that and, and kind of more broadly how how Tuchel is managing the goalkeeper situation and other challenging squad situations at, at Chelsea so far. I'm getting a puppy soon, so I'm, I'm taking next week off and I can't rule out the possibility that I'll never be productive again. Um, <laughs> but we, I think we are planning to... Simon and I, I know I give Simon a, a bit of grief on the podcast, but he is the hassle bank to Micah Johnson. So um, we, I think we're... <laughs> We're, we're planning. Uh, <laughs> God, what does that leave me? The car for sale. <laughs> On a palace. Yes. <laughs> see, see what I did there. You're the Jeffrey Schlupp, Don. Nothing happens without you. Um, but I think Simon and I are planning another piece. I'm not sure exactly when we're going to run it, um, having a faux argument about Chelsea's best team, uh, which would be quite fun to do. And um, I, I'm also working on a piece just before I, I enter the, the world of puppy parenthood about um, Thomas Tuchel's playing days with Rafa Honigstein. So look out for that one later this week. Presumably the puppy's going to have a Chelsea-related name? No, no. It's going to be called Ruby. Not Ruben. I don't, know why. I don't, I don't really know why. 
But yeah, we'll Ru- go with yeah that. Ruby Loftus Cheek, I guess. <laughs> Just as I said, puppy. Then my dog Brian, who is named after Brian Clough Park, so he's obviously <laughs> excited that you get one. Anyway, back to the athletic and writing stuff. Simon, what about you? What's what's on your agenda this week? So um, I'm afraid didn't get in too much on Nottingham Forest, Matt. But um, I've interviewed Michael Mansin, so that should be um, hitting the site on the day this podcast comes out. So yeah, obviously I've gone into mainly focused on Chelsea and there's a, it's a story of, of, of someone that of course must be looking at the current academy with, with envious eyes, but he still had a pretty good career. He's now at Burton Albion and uh, signed up by another Chelsea player as uh, Liam's already mentioned, Hasselbank. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that one. He, uh, he talks very well. Like a slightly more successful Josh McKecker, and I always think of uh, Michael Manson as. Um, Dom, your brief's a little wider than just Chelsea. What are you writing about? I'm off this week. Excellent. <laughs> so you're writing about absolutely nothing, yet you've still come on this podcast. Professional, eh? Outstanding dedication. No puppy's going to gonna deflect me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you want to read the stuff by the chaps, by the way, remember until February the 25th, we're offering new subscribers a half price annual subscription, less than a pound a week for an entire year. To redeem that limited time only offer, go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. That's theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod. That'll do us for today though. Many thanks to Simon, to Liam, to Dom and to producer Lucy, but mainly to you listener. We'll catch up with you again next week. Until then, from all of us here, it's bye for now. The Athletic.